I'm Andrew Faust. This is Permaculture Perspectives. And today, I'm going to talk about the broader framework of the permaculture ethics, looking at, as they're framed by Mullison and Holmgren, how do we take care of the earth, take care of the people, and share all the surplus that comes from a caring society that we create by caring for the earth and caring for the people we create surplus and we recognize that we share this planet and thereby live in ways that are appropriate to the nature of how the earth works which is my way of rephrasing limits to consumption the reason I like to rephrase that is limits are something that only exist in our mind and design is a process by which we both operate within constraints and tap into the infinite capacity that lies in beyond attending to just what is in the here and now, but also understanding what is possible. And that is key to permaculture. We are information and imagination intensive as a response to a society that is right now fossil fuel, energy, and resource intensive and lacking in imagination and clearly not paying attention to the information which is being given to us by the earth as far as how much the planet has been set back by human misuse and abuse and how much human health has been as well. And while clearly we may be approaching a planetary situation that the United Nations characterizes as zero population growth by 2130, with a number of 10.5 billion, which is where I begin to land the plane of today's topic on how can we feed 10.5 billion by 2130? And beyond that, how can we house, clothe, provide energy, and have a beautiful life together with 10.5 billion people on this planet? And what I'm suggesting and going to outline for you today is how we're going to do that with permaculture design as a process that integrates these different sectors of life rather than separates them and says something as industrial of a question as how can we feed 10.5 billion people? It's an industrially minded question because the reality is nobody just eats. All human beings do a multiplicity of things by virtue of being alive. We drink water. We often wear clothing, we create cultures, we have very elaborate ways of attending to what we might call the metaphysical dimensions of the world, often called religion or spirituality. And all these things are part of a human being, not just eating, although eating is certainly one of the primary foundations of life on earth, eat or be eaten. And permaculture is about creating a diversity of things to eat that come from more of our local landscape and looking at how that, along with diversifying and creating a more resilient energy infrastructure, in hand with changing what it is that we actually make things out of. In other words, transitioning the industrial economy to be more locally based, more biologically grounded, and something that is enjoyable to participate in in terms of the jobs that are provided. Long-term security for 
Our species on this planet lies in an integrated solution set, not simply looking at one problem and trying to address it, but looking at the intersection of an array of problems that are interrelated and need to be addressed in such a manner. So when we address how to feed 10.5 billion people, which, frankly, the science and the information is clear that that is not all that difficult of a goal to accomplish, one of the primary easy leverage points that I've been suggesting in these podcasts is that of being a better steward of the ocean. The ocean's ready to provide us with most of the bounty that we need. When we begin to respect how it is that life works in the ocean and not treat it as an industrial machine that can be abused because it will not provide us with well-being when we do not treat the ocean with respect and honor. And as soon as we do begin to do that as a species, it is clearly a very forgiving and resilient ecology. In fact, arguably one of the most resilient ecologies on the planet, which is why I've been putting such an emphasis on it. And I also want to really emphasize this relationship between how it is that people live and their diet. Because how we frame a question has a great deal to do with what conversation we have following that question. And what I mean by that is to say, if we simply say feed 10.5 billion people and we don't talk about not just calories, not just protein, but how the quality of what it is that people are ingesting has been generated. In other words, is the food that people are eating truly something that is nutritious, with high mineral content, grown in a way that is responsible and increases water quality and biodiversity, or is what people are eating decreasing water quality, biodiversity, and lacking in nutritional quality and mineral content? If it is the latter, then clearly it doesn't paint a good picture as far as for how long and at what cost can we feed people with ways that pollute water, decrease biodiversity, and ultimately lack nutritional and mineral content. That is not a solution. That's a death sentence. And when we begin to really understand that what we need is not just to feed people, but we need to nourish people. We need to give people bone strength and brain strength. And in order to have healthy guts and healthy minds, we need human beings who are nurtured, cared for by their mothers. We need mothers to have support while they're getting ready to have a baby and after they have a baby. And for at least a year or two to give undivided attention to their children along with a caring and significant partner, hopefully, and a family network who can help truly nurture and cultivate what is one of the most powerful and amazing species on the planet when actually attended to holistically human beings we still do not recognize need compassion, 
and unconditional love throughout their developmental years. And as a society, as we make that available, we will decrease the need for prisons. We will decrease the need for authoritarian regimentation and punitive systems. And what we will see is a society that also isn't so fear-driven to propagate in large numbers, which is one of the factors that stimulates larger family size. When you study the behavioral psychology of human societies, you will see that people who are under stress often tend to have larger families than populations that are content, thereby sending a very clear message that the best way to achieve having a good life in the future as we rocket around the sun on this finite planet, which is 24,901 miles in circumference and 70% ocean. Part of the reason that I say let's take care of the ocean is it's the biggest thing going on on planet Earth next to the sun. And understanding it more and honoring its cycles and processes is the foundation of what gives us a more advanced and flourishing civilization to participate in as time goes on. A decentralized power grid is essential to making it so that as we continue to evolve a advanced civilization, we step into a form that is restorative and is attending to the appropriate real available energy, material, resources, and waste products that can be quality controlled and source separated and turning them into energy independence with zero emissions, truly reliable, renewable infrastructures of the future are a key stone to how it is we're going to create abundance, health, and well-being and have more wild places than we do today, while at the same time supporting a larger population base on this planet. These are completely achievable and commensurate goals. In fact, they are essential in our march forward to have a more beautiful and prosperous tomorrow for our children to inherit. And we can phrase that ethic as how can we love all the children of all the species through all time? And that's when we begin to have a more expansive definition of what our design goal is. Having a contractive and narrow objective where we simply focus on feeding people, simply focus on the health and well-being of our water, or solely focus on renewable energy. It's about all of these things and more variables and how do we create solutions that actually marry all of these variables into one phenomenon as the outcome. And that outcome is a diverse array of cultures that are more regionally grounded again with a very robust and integrated global community that has a high moral and ethical conscience that evolves because of the compassionate naked ape who is now nurtured by their caring and loving mothers and families as they evolve in this more advanced civilization that we create the world around. 
And right now you'll find that the United States is doing the worst job globally of supporting mothers financially, which is one of the reasons that this society is so damaged. Compassion and the capacity to have empathy for our fellow human beings can and often only emerges from children who have been raised by caring human beings. It is very difficult to have a society of compassion and empathy emerge out of fear, out of giant standing militaries, and out of a citizen who is overworked, underpaid, overstressed, undernourished, on mood-stabilizing drugs, with parents who watch so much television that they barely even pay attention to their children because all they want to do is numb themselves to the dysfunctional world around them. That society is the society that is fed by petrochemical military infrastructures. The key to creating a healthy world, both whether we're looking at 10.5 billion people on this planet or simply supporting the nearly 8 billion that we have right now with something that we would want to see, that is the imperative for doing this work. We have an obligation, a responsibility, and an awareness to the unborn generations of this planet to really improve and enhance and heal the wounds of the past. So thank you for listening. Hold that vision in your heart and mind with me, and we'll emerge a more beautiful tomorrow and embrace the wonders of today. Be well.